Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. These words that I'm about to read to you, these words are the heart of the gospel. This passage is really the heart of what our faith is all about. It is about a holy God who loves sinners and sends His own Son to suffer the death that they deserve. That's the heart of the Gospel. That's what our faith is all about. And one of the wonderful things about this passage in Romans 5 is that it tells us all about the results of God's love for sinners like us. And I just want you to think about the, the rich things that God says spring from His love for us in this passage. Things like justification by faith, peace with God, access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We have hope. We have God's love poured into our hearts. We have the Holy Spirit in us. We have Jesus Christ who died for the ungodly. We have salvation from the wrath of God. We have reconciliation with God. And all of those things are yours if you embrace Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. All of those things are yours right now if you trust Him. They are the lavish and free and generous results of God's love for sinners like us. But there's one thing in this passage that I didn't list. There's one result of God's love that that we so often overlook, but it's right here in, in Romans 5 and it's woven all through the Scripture. Listen as I read Romans 5. Follow along as I read Romans 5, 1 through 11. And as I read this, listen for a word that Paul uses three times. Verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled by God by the, to God by the death of His Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Now, I know that there are all kinds of different translations that are being used here this morning. But did you catch the word that I read three different times? There's all kinds of words that I read three different times, but... There's one in particular I'm looking for. I'm thinking of the word rejoice. Your translation might have it exult, or glory, or boast, or joy. But he's talking about this loud, enthusiastic, exuberant joy. What he's saying is that one of the rich treasures that flow from God's love to sinners is joy. We don't often think of it like that, do we? 
We think of forgiveness, adoption, sanctification, but how often do we think of joy as a fruit of God's love for us? But that is what this passage says, and he says it three times. Now, the Bible is filled with that kind of language. The Bible is filled with that kind of thing that says that joy is a vital part of the Christian experience. Look at, if you're looking at Romans 5, turn back to, well, just keep your place in Romans 5. We're going to look at something in Romans, but listen to Psalm 32. Psalm 32, 1 and 2. He says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit, in his, whose spirit there is no deceit. Now, if you're in my Sunday school class this morning, uh, we talked about what that word means, that word blessed. It means joy, doesn't it? It means happy. It means filled with joy. It means gladness. And at the end of that psalm, at the end of Psalm 32, David commands... All of those who are righteous, all of those who, who are forgiven of their sins and who have, who have their sins covered, He commands us to be filled with joy. Psalm 32.11 A command from God, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. It's a command of God. Another place in Romans, Paul makes... An amazing statement about the essential nature of joy in the Christian life. Look at Romans 14, verses 17 and 18. These, these words shake up the notions we have about what religion is and what true godliness is and what the kingdom of God is all about. Romans 14, 17 and 18. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. How do you serve Christ, according to these words? Righteousness, peace, and joy. If you don't have joy, you're not serving Christ. That is what the kingdom of God is about. The kingdom of God is not about merely outward things like eating and drinking. It's about inward things like righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit that bubbles out into life. And that is the essence of what the kingdom of God is about. It's not just, it's not just an optional part of the Christian life. It's, joy isn't the icing on the cake. It's not the caboose that's tacked on as, a, as an afterthought on the train of duty. It's part of the train. Real living joy is one of the glorious results of God's love for sinners. It's one of the rich treasures that Jesus Christ bought for you at the price of His blood. Now, let's look back at Romans 5, and I want to see real quickly, what are the three kinds of joy? What kind of joy is He talking about in Romans 5? There are three things He says that we rejoice in as a fruit, as a benefit of God's love for sinners like us. Number one. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Look at verse 2. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God? <clears throat> there are at least three, things that, that we, three ways we can understand that. It could mean... To rejoice in the hope of the glory of God could mean that we rejoice in the hope of seeing the glory of God. And there's truth to that, isn't there? That would be a huge cause for rejoicing. 
one day, because of the cross, because of Christ's death for us, we will be ushered into the very throne room of the King of Heaven, and we will see His glory. And the sight of that glory will be eternally satisfying. We rejoice in the hope of seeing the glory of God. That's one way we can understand this. There's another way. It could mean that we rejoice in the hope of partaking in the glory of God. Or partaking in the glory that God gives to His children. Paul talks about that in, in Romans 8.21. He talks about the freedom of the glory of the children of God. This glory that God gives to sinners who have hoped in Christ. Both of those are possible ways of thinking about this. But in the context, in Romans 5, there's another way of looking at, that, at this that fits so beautifully in this context. This word glory can also mean good opinion or approval. That is, that's really the, the root of this word. And it's certainly one of the ways that the Bible uses this word, glory. For example, stick your finger here in, in Romans 5. Turn back with me to John 5 for a second. Let me show you something. John 5.44 Jesus, in John 5.44, Jesus is speaking to Jews who refuse to believe in Him. And He says these amazing words in John 5.44. This, this, this verse deserves a sermon big time. And I'm not going to preach it this morning. John 5.44. Jesus says to these Jews who refuse to believe in Him, How can you believe? How can you believe? How can you possibly believe? You're not able to believe. How can you believe, he says, when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? You have trouble with faith? You have trouble believing God? There's a moral basis for faith. Jesus says, how can you? Of course, how can you believe? If you're seeking glory from men... Instead of seeking glory from God, of course you can't believe. The NIV puts it this way, accurately I think. How can you believe if you accept praise from one another, yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God? To receive glory from someone is to receive acceptance and approval from someone. John uses that word glory in the same way in John 12. Flip up back to John 12, verses 42 to 43. He says, nevertheless, John 12, 42, nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him. This is John talking about Jesus. Many of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Again, the NIV says they loved the praise from men more than praise from God. That is a way that the Bible uses that word glory. It means receiving praise from someone. That's one of the ways it's used. Now, Paul himself uses the, the word in the exact same way in 1 Thessalonians 2, 5, and 6. Just listen to these words. 1 Thessalonians 2, 5, and 6. He says, For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, or with a, or with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others. He's saying we didn't seek praise from you or from anyone else. Now, if that is what Paul means when he uses the word glory in, in Romans 5.2, then this is what he's saying. He's saying we rejoice 
in hope of the approval of God. We rejoice in the hope of the acceptance of God. We rejoice, we exult, we boast, we shout in the certain steadfast conviction that God will look at me and smile. We rejoice in the rock-solid confidence that God's face will shine on us. And that's what the whole chapter is about, isn't it? It's about being justified by faith. It's about being declared not guilty by God Himself. It's about being, having peace with God. It's about having God's love poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. It's about being reconciled to God by the death of His Son and being saved by His life. The point of that whole chapter is that now, through the death of Jesus Christ, God looks at us. How does He look at us? He looks at us with pleasure. Brothers and sisters, that is our hope. It's not a wishy-washy, boy, I hope so kind of hope. It is steadfast, rock-solid, certain confidence that God will keep His promises to us through Jesus Christ, that He will look at us and accept us and welcome us and embrace us. And Paul says, because God loves us, we rejoice in that hope. We rejoice in the hope of being accepted by God, of being welcomed by Him. We will stand blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. And that joyous hope was bought for you at the price of the blood of the Son of God. Don't despise the treasure that Jesus Christ has secured for you. Rejoice in the hope of the glory, the approval of God. Now, I wonder how many of us consciously live in the joy of our acceptance with God? How many of us consciously live there? I would venture to guess that many of us, maybe even most of us, feel as if God is always not smiling at us through Christ, but frowning at us. God's always really just a little ticked off with us. And we don't really, on a practical day-to-day basis, rejoice in the hope of our acceptance with God at all. And instead, we walk through our days like we're walking through Fog. Fogs of, of guilt. Like Eeyore, you know? Moving through our days under this wet blanket of drabness and pessimism and cynicism and it drips out onto everything we touch. Why? Because we live under this crushing weight of the memories of our past sins and the realities of our present sins. And we feel like God couldn't possibly like us. He couldn't possibly accept us. We feel like He is always frowning at us. And life becomes one long, grueling attempt to cover our sins by being good or by trying harder or by maintaining an image or a reputation that everyone else will respect, even God. Now, what does that do to relationships? It twists them and it ruins them, and it burdens them with your own agenda because all the people in your world exist to make you feel better about yourself. This is how you're living. And all hell breaks loose if they don't jump through your hoops. 
Or maybe you're a workaholic because you have to show that you can do it right. Or maybe you become this, this Messiah who comes in and controls everything and fixes everything and tries to make up for your own sins by, by saving everyone else and fixing everyone else. There's a hundred ways that our sense of guilt works its way out. But you see, this truth of Romans 5, 1 and 2 changes all of that. Because Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, declared not guilty, perfectly righteous, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have these things. And through Him also we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We stand in this sphere, this realm of grace. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God or the acceptance of God. In other words, because we're justified by faith, because we're declared not guilty in God's eyes, because we have peace with God, because we have this ongoing eternal access into the realm of grace, because all of that is true, we are filled with joy and the confident assurance that we are already accepted by God. Whatever your past, whatever it is in your past that hounds you, that harasses you with that sense of failure and guilt and remorse and regret, whatever it is that flings up in front of your face every time you try to pray, whatever it is you're running from, trying to cover up, trying to compensate for, whatever it is, God, if God has justified you, then it is gone. Even if it happened last year, even if it happened last month, last week, this morning. If you are embracing the life and death of Jesus Christ in your place, then your sins are gone from God's sight. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. Psalm 103, 12. God says in Isaiah 43, 25, I, I am He who blots out your transgressions for My own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Do you believe that? He says in Isaiah 44:22, "I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like a mist. The sun has risen and burned off the mist and the mist is gone and your sins are gone. If you're trusting Jesus Christ. And he no longer regards you as an enemy, he now regards you as a son. And when he looks at you, he smiles. Because he sees Jesus Christ when he looks at you. Now, does that mean that your sin isn't real? <laughs> no. Your sin's real. My sin's real. Is it ugly? Oh yeah, it's ugly. Is it serious? Is there rebellion still in your heart and mind that creeps out, thumbs its nose at God? Oh yeah, it's there, isn't it? doesn't mean that your sin isn't there or that you're perfect. That's not what this means. What it means, though, is that God's love is absolutely amazing. It's better than what you thought. Embrace the joy that is yours in Christ. Rejoice in the hope of the acceptance of God. Now, there's a second thing that we rejoice in as a fruit and a benefit of God's love for us in this passage. 
Secondly, we rejoice in our sufferings. Look at verse 3. He says, more than that, this is Romans 5.3, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. What What an amazing gift that is. He doesn't take the sufferings away. He gives us the gift of the, the ability to rejoice in the midst of them. And when God set His love on us, when Jesus Christ died on the cross for us, He secured joy in our sufferings. He secured our ability to rejoice in the face of suffering. And what does that mean? It means you don't have to live as a victim of your circumstances. You don't have to live as a pessimist. You don't have to live under this terrible burden of darkness and gloom and despair because no matter what your circumstances are, Jesus Christ purchased joy for you. Now, how can that be? How in the world does that work? I know that some of you are facing hard things right now. I prayed for some of you a few minutes ago because you're facing hard things and I know it. Some of you are facing sickness, the the death of a loved one, uncertainty about the future, loneliness. Some of you have come to the middle of your life or even towards the end of your life and you're faced with the crushing disappointment with life, with how life has turned out for you. It didn't turn out the way you thought it would. How can it be that you can rejoice in the midst of that? He tells us. He tells us right here. Look at verses 3 through 5. He says, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing, knowing, here's what you have to keep in your mind in order to rejoice in your sufferings. We rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, does not disappoint you, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Ultimately, you can rejoice in the midst of your sufferings and trials because you have the Holy Spirit in you. It's not some kind of gritting it out. It's not some kind of stoicism. This is not something you conjure up on your own. This joy in suffering is the result of God's love being poured into your heart through the Holy Spirit who's been given to you. Brothers and sisters, take hold of that joy. It is a gift that Jesus Christ has purchased for you every bit as much as He's purchased heaven for you. Take hold of this power to rejoice in your sufferings and embrace it by faith. And lastly, the third thing. There's a third thing that we rejoice in as a fruit of God's love for us. We rejoice in God. And this really... This is the the pinnacle of all of them, isn't it? Look at verse 11. He says, more than that. He keeps piling one thing on top of another. Not only that, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Not only do we rejoice in the hope of God's smile as He looks at us through Christ, not only do we rejoice in the good benefits of our sufferings, Not only that, we rejoice in God Himself. Not just rejoicing in the gifts that He has given, but rejoicing in Him, the giver. And this is the pinnacle of all the benefits of God's love for us because it's the most satisfying, it's the most enduring, it's the most fulfilling experience in the universe. It's what we're made for. Because you and I were made for God. 
You were made to find your satisfaction and your delight and your joy in God. And this is the ultimate end of all of Christ's work on the cross for you. To transform you from a person who vainly tries, who's always constantly running around trying to find lasting joy in money or in sex or in clothes or in TV or food or, or power or popularity or people or toys or, or alcohol or whatever it is. To transform you from a person who's banging your head against the brick wall of those things into someone who finds joy in God. And that's what this reconciliation that he talks about in verse 11 is all about. It is about restoring you to right relationship with God. That relationship that that Adam had before the fall, but even better than that. That relationship when, when Adam delighted in God and found his joy in God and communed with God in the garden of the, in, in the cool of the day, that sweetness of fellowship. You can be reconciled to that again. If you're a Christian, then through Jesus Christ, God has secured for you the ultimate joy in all of the universe. <clears throat> that ultimate joy that your heart longs for that is empty of so long as you're trying to chase it somewhere else. All of this is yours. Now. Today. Not just some super spiritual mystic experience. This is what Jesus Christ bought for you. Take it. Joy in the hope of God's acceptance of you is yours. Take it. Joy even in the midst of suffering is yours. Take it. Joy in the soul-satisfying fullness of God Himself is yours. Take it. Grab hold of it. Seek it. Embrace it by faith. Live in it. Why in the world would you want to walk out of here today as a stranger to the joy that flows from God's love for sinners? Why would you want to leave here as a stranger to the joy that comes to everyone who will embrace Jesus Christ? But you know what? That is exactly what some of you are planning to do even right now. You've already decided. You've decided to walk out of here and reject this. To walk out of here, you've heard the Word of God, you know it's true. But you're planning right now to walk away from here as a rebel against God, as someone who will not submit yourself to Jesus Christ, who will not humble yourself under the free mercy and love of God. But God is calling you, commanding you, to a life of joy in the Lord Jesus Christ. And whether this is all new to you, or whether you've heard this a thousand times, He is calling every one of us to turn away from yourself, to come to Jesus Christ, to find joy in being accepted by God, to find joy even in the midst of suffering, to find joy in this intimate relationship with the soul-satisfying Creator of the universe. And you can only have that if you'll stop trusting and worshiping yourself. But there's the rub, isn't it? You want to trust and worship yourself, don't you? These blessings only come 
when you forget that and trust Jesus Christ. God commands joy and He threatens terrible things for those who won't embrace it. Let's pray together and ask for God's mercy to make us people who hope in Him. Lord God, I pray now that You would take Your Word and take Your truth, use the power of Your Spirit to make us people who stop trusting ourselves. And who stop worshipping ourselves. And who stop thinking that we know better. And who stop trying to show everyone how good we are. Save us from that, Lord. Make us rest in the sweet joy that's found in you. Lord, I pray that as we, as we partake of your table, that as we taste the bread, we would taste this joy that comes from the broken body of Your Son, and that we would, as we drink the fruit of the vine, we would taste the joy that comes from You having been crushed for us. Let us taste it. And let us rejoice in it. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. last few months we have had an infiltration in our church of a foreign substance, namely Brits.